0: Welcome to Radar Contact.
1: The Air Traffic Management podcast by Fox ATM.
0: For this new episode, uh, our guest is Axel Knutsen, who is Vice President uh, Unmanned Traffic Management at Avinor Air Navigation Services in Norway. Axel, welcome to this episode.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: And with you, Axel, we will talk about uh, UTM, drones, drone operations in Norway, volumes, and so on. But before we go into that, uh, I just wanted to ask you if you can introduce yourself on Avinor ANS.
1: Absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is Axel Knudsen. I've been working for Avinor ANS uh, the last uh, 12 years. Started my career as an air traffic controller, ventured into remote towers, and ended up in drones and UTM around three years ago. Avenor ANS is the ANSP in uh, Norway. We provide uh, ANS uh, services like air traffic controllers, engineers, radar data, et cetera, to
0: a uh, majority of the airports
1: uh, in uh, in Norway.
0: UTM is obviously one of the hottest topics uh, nowadays in air traffic management. And we see a lot of countries showing what they are doing, what their status is, and a lot of companies placing them as as the leader. So so what is the status of, of UTM deployment in, in Norway? Who are the, the major players here? Uh, the
1: major players in Norway is, uh Avenor, ANS. We are the only ones providing a UTM solution today in Norway. Uh, we have teamed up with uh, Frequentis, uh, which you probably know, and their subcontractor Altitude Angel in providing this system.
0: So we are the only
1: ones actually doing something in the UTM sphere uh, today here in Norway.
0: So you prefer to go for the model with a central UTM and you were not opting in for the. The, the European model, sometimes proposed, to have different players and a lot of open markets. Uh, we
1: we are uh, we will follow whatever the regulation is, if it's centralized or decentralized, so to say. But the uh, the uh, the fact of the market today is that there isn't very much players who are interested in doing this in a in a rather small market, which Norway is. So. The, the way to go forward with the market has been to, to introduce this option. And we, we have the possibility of connecting whoever wants to do it on the system, the USGS or CIS. So uh, we, will, we will follow whatever the regulations say.
0: Okay, I understand that. Um, and with the current status, what kind of features does your UTM uh, system provide, both to, to drone operators on one side and, and air traffic controllers on the other side?
1: Uh, The system we built now is uh, with Frequentis and Altitude Angel is uh, sort of a basic setup. It's an advanced system, but it offers the basic services, the U1 and U2 capabilities. The main focus for the drone operators is to receive the information on where they are allowed to fly, uh, who they should contact, what the airspace looks like, where everyone else is flying if there are drone operators. And for air traffic controllers, the uh, the main reason is to actually have this visualized instead of having it on a pen and paper, uh, yellow sticker notes, emails, etc., and telephones. Uh, the the tricky thing inside is that we actually allow uh, drone operators to request access to the airspace digitally, and they receive clearance within a couple of minutes from our air traffic controllers. So we eliminate the telephones, the emails, and then the pen and paper and do everything digitally.
0: That's nice. So it means as a drone operator, I could send a request via your, your UTM system, probably an app, I guess. Yes. It goes all the way to the air traffic controller in the concerned tower. Mm-hmm. And then the clearance or, or request to delay or, or denial comes back via the same way.
1: That is correct. We have uh, both a web page, like an operator portal for more advanced planning and the app for the ad hoc type of services.
0: And Is it really done by the ad code or is it done by some assistant or by the shift leader in the tower?
1: It is actually done by ATCO's old uh, places. Uh, we, have, uh, we have, as you probably know, we have some smaller towers in Norway and we have some larger towers. So for the larger ones, we'll probably look at uh, using a supervisor or something else. But uh, for, the, uh, for the smaller tower, this is uh, done by the ATCO itself, not the SS
0: and, and apart from real tower operations, were there other parts of Avinor ANS that have been impacted by the rollout of UTM?
1: Uh, We we have used a lot of the company to do this just to be safe on how we want to do it as uh, the UTM is so immature uh, in in the state of uh, the ATM world, so to say. So we used a lot of time on safety assessment, risk assessment, working a lot with the CAA involving air traffic controllers, engineers, leads. So all of the companies, so to say, has been involved in the in the process, but the, the main focus is for the but it is for the controllers and the drone operators.
0: I can imagine for the air traffic controllers that's basically one more task to do, and some can be very busy. So to, to give us an idea, what's the typical number of requests that you get? I don't know on a weekly or, or monthly. Uh,
1: it's it's hard to to say because it's. Uh, there's so many locations, so to say, in Norway. Uh, we have started deploying on the smaller locations. Some of them receive a couple of requests a week, and some have 20 requests per day. So it it depends a lot uh, in peak hours, of course. Uh, in Norway, we have had we've gone through the winter period now with dark uh, with uh, darkness, etc. So uh, things are shifting to gear up now. We have handled um, roughly around 1,000 requests um, now in the system, uh, a bit more than that, but. Uh, those are the, the real operators, say, and uh, not the testing of it. So in the system, we have generated somewhere between one or 2,000 requests, and two, uh, 1,000 of them have been external customers just to test it. So it's, uh, it's um, for some airports, uh, 20
0: a day maybe, and others once or twice a week. You mentioned darkness, and um, line of sight is obviously a concern when when operating drones. Um, do you allow drone operations at night?
1: Yes, the CA has approved drone operations at night, so uh, we uh, we allow it as well as long as they follow the, the rules and regulations supplied by CA or us on this one. So, but yeah,
0: it is uh, it is. But but it still means uh, if it's twenty per day at a busy airport, it mm-hmm. means basically one request per hour, probably a bit more because I imagine pilots don't fly between two and five in the morning. Yeah, uh, so. absolutely. So, so that could become actually a lot of work for the for the ad code right
1: yeah we, we have it uh, most of the most of the flights is uh, I would estimate between nine in the morning and up to five or six uh, something like that but uh, the med- big majority is between uh, 10 and two so we have if we have 20 requests I would say seventy percent is between 10 and two so there there is peak just like with uh, man traffic
0: there is peak hours for this well. that's interesting that we're already talking about peak hours for for yeah. traffic Absolutely. Do do you have a view what what kind of flights are these? Because I'm a bit surprised by the high numbers. Are these photo flights, inspections, or or other activities?
1: Uh, There is a nice uh, variety to it. Uh, The main things is once you already mentioned, photo flights, a lot of real estate projects, uh, inspections of... uh, um, various projects, etc. Uh, but we have a for the for the larger ones, uh, the one having twenty flights or almost twenty flights per day yeah. so max. They, they have a very large drone community university with a bachelor degree in drone uh, drones. Sprint. There is a very active uh, police department using drones, real estate agency, and the uh, and of course the the airport is situated in the middle of the city. So everyone who wants to fly a drone near the airport needs to so that also generates the traffic.
0: That, that raises an interesting question because. Um... I imagine in some cases, uh, operators do not stick to the the plan or the, the flight plan or mission. They feel, be it on purpose or, or not. Uh, have you had some some cases like that? And, and if yes, how did you react and what is the process to, to manage this? Uh,
1: we, uh, the, the big majority of drone operators uh, do what they uh, what they want to do or, sorry, they do what they uh, intend to do and they fly according to the rules. Uh, we haven't had uh, that many who uh, filed a flight plan and did something else. It's more that people don't know they have to file a flight plan with us, uh, like tourists coming to the city or uh, people not really into the aviation community or haven't read the news about the, the UTM system. So it is a, it's a big task to get the information out that you can you have to ask the tower for permission. You have to use this app or you have to call, etc. The majority is that people don't know they actually have to ask just to fly 10 meters above their, uh, above their house or apartment. Uh, they don't know and they don't see it as a risk. So that is the big issue that we, we need to address.
0: So you mentioned frequencies and Altitude Angels, and I guess you developed your own app and website. Uh, uh, do you see a way in the future to have a, um, a standard that would be the app worldwide? Because what you mentioned is very true. If someone comes to Norway, they have to know your UTM system. If they go to Sweden, they probably have to learn about another one. Mm-hmm. Do you see some harmonisation worldwide coming?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the UTM market. There is a very there is a large crowd now of uh, vendors and suppliers, and also a lot of companies doing what we do. They you start building something, and down the road there will be probably some harmonisation and uh, people doing it more standardised. We uh, we have chosen Frequentis and Oldie Angel because they are they're very skilled in what they do. They have long experience in the ATM world, for instance, with Frequentis. And we believe that uh, there is going to be synergy here between the UTM and ATM world. So I I think definitely that you're onto something here, that there will will be some sort of a standard, uh, like we do for uh, remote ID, for instance, now in the drone world, that you have to develop some standards. You have to have some interoperability between systems. So you don't have to have 20 different apps if you want to fly in uh, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, for instance. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I think there would be something like
0: that. You mentioned your system is is basic for now. Can you tell us what it means? Because for me, the idea that a pilot can submit a flight plan, automatically go to the air traffic controller and back, uh, sounds like almost all what they could want. So what are the <laughs> next steps that you want that you see in the let's say advanced programs? when
1: I, when I say basic i was I was more referring to the the, the initial services, so to say u one u two capability space program. So the system itself is quite complex and it's very, very well done by by frequentists and altitude angel and ourselves in building it. Uh, but we the uh, the more advanced steps will be actually uh, showing four d trajectories, for instance, uh, exactly where the drone is, uh, how to manage the airspace when there is much more capacity and or demand into it than it is today. Handling 20 drones a day in, in, in one airport isn't really a big problem. The real problem is when there's a lot of BVLOS loss flights, and we have hundreds or thousands of flights uh, near an airport or near a city. Those are the tricky parts. And the system today is built to scale for that. But uh, we haven't tested it. We haven't done it. We haven't developed the services that the, the drone operators need uh, because we don't know what they need yet. The demand isn't there. The demand today is to fly a drone for 15 minutes, take a photo, uh, gather some data, do an inspection, and then land again. We have very few requests in Norway of um, drone flights for more than one hour, for instance, or uh, extended beaver loss operations, uh, operations over populated areas or uh, large uh, gatherings of people. But once the, once those are in place, we will actually have to develop more uh, more services Um more advanced sources, especially capacity and uh, recon- reconfiguration of the airspace.
0: That's interesting. You say I don't have a lot of dvlos requests for now because I know runway, sorry, Norway has a lot of uh, helicopter traffic to the oil rigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something where you see drone operators coming, obviously with something much more powerful than than your standard DGI? Because these are probably hours of flight. Do you see a trend to unmanned?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a lot of B-velos in Norway, but we we don't have them in the system, so to say. They still require a uh, they still require a no time, They still require, for instance, a a segregated airspace like a restricted area, etc. So we don't handle them in the UTM system per se. We do a we have a limit now of if you want to fly above 500 feet or 400 feet, you have to you have to not use the UTM system, we'd have to go into the ATM world, so to say. So that, that is the reason why we don't handle that much velocity in UTM system. But the, in, in Norway, we have a lot of very good companies flying, for instance, Nordic Command, the first stock exchange with the drone operator in, in Europe, uh, flying from, from the West Coast of Norway. Uh, I definitely believe that there will be a market operations to offshore installations, like you mentioned. Uh, 100% certain that that will happen at some time. Uh, the technology is already there on the on the drones. Uh, it's all of the support system around it and uh, the costs, etc., uh, w- which will have to drive the demand here. But I, I certainly, we, this will happen. We we actually did a flight uh, last year with Nordic command and Equino, the oil and gas provider in Norway, where we, we had a flight from uh, onshore out to offshore, a couple of hours flying time and a very nice um, testing ground for how this could be done. In the
0: Can you imagine in the future, this would even apply to uh, unmanned air mobility? So, you know, Air taxi, so with passengers on board?
1: Yeah, I think so. I absolutely think that a uh, UTM system will be involved here in some way. Uh, if it's uh, driving everything or if it's up to the space service provider, so to say, or, or the data analysts into it, uh, not sure. Uh, the regulation will have to have an opinion on on that. But I, I definitely think that the, a UTM system will evolve handling a lot of this, especially in uncontrolled airspace uh where we where we don't have the traffic today like
0: over cities which don't have an airport uh, situated nearby etc
1: so absolutely that the system will be part of this
0: but that's fascinating it's really interesting to see how that industry will will evolve here <laughs> absolutely we on that. Um, we have a tradition to close up these episodes with with a double question mm-hmm. um, where do you see atm and utm five years from now and also to open a bit to fantasy and imagination in 50 years from now where we all <laughs> not be active in the industry anymore?
1: Yeah, uh, very good question, Uh, interesting one. Uh, For the five year period, I don't think that that much will change. I think that there will be a lot of new drone services, a lot of uh, excellent products and services being delivered by drone companies and UTM will have evolved some to, to, to be able to deliver the services to them. But I still think that we have a UTM and an ATM system. They will be separate for the next five to 10 years, uh, I would assume. Some capabilities will be in loaded into ATM and vice versa. But I think there will be, a, in the next five years, there will be a large demand for having a I'm not going to say a separate UTM system, but this UTM system as is today, uh, and the services there. Uh, it will not be part of ATM world uh, in that way. But uh, 50 years, uh, let's see. I'll, I really hope that we crack the code for urban air mobility in that time, and uh, also uh, delivering goods via drones. I expect that within five years, actually. But uh, yeah, urban air mobility is the really, really tricky one. How we do that uh, with all of the questions related. I hope that we have a merger of UTM and ATM in some way, so we don't have to have two separate systems and all of the costs and all of the. Uh, the factors into that that we have a, have a unified airspace in 50 years
0: i really really hope that it's really interesting how you you make the line between atm and utm and i guess saving people on board will probably be one of the key steps towards the merge because the industry will want to be a bit more careful when transporting a person rather than transporting let's say a pizza or your your next amazon absolutely axel it was a pleasure to talk with you thanks a lot for that we will certainly keep our eyes on Norway and the development of the, the UTM and ATM there. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.
1: This was Radar Contact.
0: Visit foxatm.com or your favorite podcast platform for more.